good to see everyone. Um, I am a little bit of a mess. Just I don't know why, but worship is just such a thing for me. Um, I, I don't think I've heard that song in a while, How He Loves, or I don't think I've sang it like that in a while. And I think uh, in lieu of everything that we've seen and gone through over the past year, some of the things that um, we've endured in 2020 and seeing a lot of uh, failed leadership, a lot of people who have um, made some poor decisions or like, I mean, even political things, right? I, I, I tell my wife this, I get really stirred up, like to the point where I'm like, I need to delete Facebook, Instagram, delete everything because everything is just like really enraging me. And uh, I remember telling her like, I don't know how these people go to sleep at night. Like, how do these people sleep? And um, as we were singing that song, man, I just felt like God was saying, like, you know, like, the things that enrage you enrage God way more. And yet he loves us way more than any of those things. And I just got wrecked again and just felt like God was reminding me, like, you know, even in all of our righteousness and all of our good deeds, they're filthy rags compared to the righteousness of Christ. And so... Just kind of sat there for a little bit. I'm still kind of recovering from that, picking up pieces of my heart. Where I'm like, oh, you know. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Um, so just if things are all over the place, that's why. Um, and uh, I just really wanted to, I feel like what, I'm being reminded of just the roots of just spending time before God in his love and just receiving his love. Um, and so I'm going to do a quick promo pitch too. We didn't have an announcement slide, um, but... Uh, we were actually, when I talked to Elder Dapu and some of the other leaders about this, um, I didn't think we were going to do it so quickly. Um, the thing that I brought up like a couple weeks ago was like, hey, like, uh, let's have a ministry night kind of thing where we can just kind of soak in for like an hour, hour and a half and really make it just about being with God um, with no sermon. You know, like we have a lot of these gatherings, but uh, usually revolves around the speaker. And so um, we do this a lot in like, different YWAM cultures and contexts for those of you guys who know it. Um, and so I, just for the record, I wanted to do it in April. So we had a lot of time to prepare, and Elder Dapu was like, well, let's just do it in March. I was like, okay. So uh, here we are in the last Saturday of March. We're going to um, uh, make it a thing um, where we just kind of sit before God and uh, meet with him. And uh, that's my little pitch for you guys. Um, I, I just really believe, like, this is such a... Uh, important part of me. I, I believe many of you guys as well, so um, just a quick pitch there. We are in our third week of the church-wide campaign called Life on a Mission. Um, the third week's message is called Share, and I, I love that topic, so when it came to me, I thought it was great. Uh, when Pastor Q told me about it, I thought we were going by the chapters of the book, and the third chapter I read it and I opened it, was H is for health. And I was like, oh shoot, I have to preach on this. But um, that's not what it is. We're preaching on sharing the gospel today. So that's really good. A quick shout out. I've been hearing a lot of good things coming from the church campaign. Um, I lurk around in Daniel Ra's uh, small group chat. I hear a lot of good stories coming out of it. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful to be a part of a community and a, a church where we're really uh, pushing the next stage of outreach and pushing this as a lifestyle for us. So. Um, yeah, so 
that, that's what's going on in our church as far as for Nava. Uh, we just had our first outreach, and I don't know how long since quarantine happened. We had our first outreach, I think it's already been about a week and a half last Thursday. Uh, we opened it up, and uh, there are students coming back onto campus, and Andrew and I were talking one Saturday morning, and while we were talking, Andrew and I started talking about outreach and things we could do. Uh, and in the middle of it, we started talking about our last year's retreat where Pastor Lenny came to speak. And so I shot Pastor Lenny a quick message and was like, hey, just thinking about what last year was like. And in the middle of the meeting, he texts me back and he goes, let me call you. I was like, oh, actually, let me call you back. Like, I, I'm in the middle of something right now. Um, so we're talking about outreach, things we can do. And then Pastor Lenny gives me a call and we, we're talking a little bit. And he's sharing how he felt like uh, outreach looks really different for him right now, too. Um, He's hosting a team from YWAM right now doing outreach. And uh, for those of you guys who don't know, Pastor Lenny lives in like the hood hood, not just like the hood, but like the hood hood. Um, I stayed with him several years ago, and I think that was like the first time I've ever been engaged in like an like a outreach like that, that close to um, gang life, violence, and drug life. The, I think the second day we were there, someone was shot dead like right across the street. So it was that level of intensity in outreach. And so we were catching up, um, and he was explaining that there's a team from YOM Kona who's there staying with them. And uh, he said at first it was a little bit hard um, because as they were trying to go onto Yale campus, uh, by the way, the hood is right next to Yale campus. And so he takes some of them there. He brings some people back for outreach. Uh, this time around, he brought the YOM group to campus in Yale. And as they're doing outreach, he just felt like it wasn't like clicking. And he turns around and he sees like, the young people doing TikToks on campus. And like, you know, it's the thing to do right now. And so he started praying about it and he shared with me, he, he said he felt like God gave him a strategy. And as he was on campus and he was praying, he heard three words. And the first was this, uh, joy. The second one is normalcy. And the third one is depression. And so he's like, what does this mean? So he writes it down. And then after a while, he feels like this is what God is saying. He says, um, he feels like God is saying, uh, this is a strategy for outreach. Go to campus, have a survey, get the spiritual climate of what's going on, ask the students, and also invite them to pray and minister to them afterwards. And so he did it. Uh, this was back in January or February. I don't remember the exact month, but 90% of the students reported that they were having anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. 90%. Nine out of 10 students that they ran into were suffering from anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. And so they've been at it for some time, and Pastor Lenny was like, if you just bring around a clipboard, they'll think you're legit. Like, if you have a clipboard and a piece of paper and a pen. So they were doing it, um, and he said, no one has rejected prayer. A few people, actually, he said one person rejected prayer who was on, in a rush, um, and he said that people were accepting Christ for the first time, and people were receiving prayer and experiencing Holy Spirit for the first time on Yale campus. Come on. <laughs> and so uh, he's telling me this, and so I'm talking to Andrew and talking to our Nava leaders, and my wife, my poor wife, has to listen to everything I say when I get really excited. Like, she's in the middle of working, like getting ready for the school semester, and I barge in, and I'm telling her all of these things. Um, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Um, and so <laughs> we're a good team. Um, and so I share this with Andrew. And uh, a lot of people can't make it out to campus. We, go, we decide to go on a Thursday afternoon. So uh, Andrew drives from Frederick, where he lives, 
40 to 45 minutes, maybe 50 minutes at the most to my house, and we drive another 40 minutes, 45 minutes to the University of Maryland. There was a little bit of traffic, which was a little surprising to me, but we got there, so Andrew was in total in the car for over an hour and a half. I was in the car for about 45 minutes or so. Uh, so needless to say, the first thing we did when we got there was look for a bathroom. Uh, when we get there, a lot of the classrooms are closed, right? Because it's like half online, half virtual, and so it's kind of like, you know, opening a door and trying to find out which one is open. It's like a game, except it's a painful game because we don't want to play this game right now. And so we try like a few buildings. We park in Armory. I don't know if you guys know where that is, uh, right by the M on the left side. And so we park there, and we're trying to find a building to use the restroom. We can't find anything, so we're like, you know what? These buildings are going to be closed. The one place we know for certain is going to be open is going to be Stam. And so we decide to hike on up to Stam, uh, and we finally use the restroom, and we're recalibrating. We're like, okay, whew, what a trip. So what do we do now? Um, and so uh, instead of carrying around a clipboard, I told Andrew, uh, let's use Google Spreadsheets, because we both have phones. It's the 21st century. We can use spreadsheets, not a clipboard. So uh, we, we decide to give this survey a shot. The first person that uh, I talked to, we kind of did it together. Um, the first person we talked to, she's, a, she's from Ohio, and so we do the survey, we get, we get like a sense for her. It's like, it's just business as usual. And so I'm like, oh, okay, well, can I pray for you? And she goes, oh, you're a Christian. I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor in this area. I want to, you know, know how the students are doing. And she goes, oh, actually, I'm looking for a church. So I'm like, oh, cool. So I gave her a house of prayer for everyone. Um, and so I don't know where she's at right now, but uh, there are people looking for churches. That was the first thing. And so we do this for about 15, 20 minutes, and we're realizing there's not a single person who's rejecting us. <laughs> there's not a single person that I've asked in the past, like, 15 minutes who rejected prayer. There was actually a group of two guys who came out. Actually, I'll rewind a little bit. There was an exchange student, and so I pray for him. He doesn't, I don't think he even understands Jesus, but he, like, at the end of prayer, he looks at me and he goes, you're a very nice guy. Thanks for talking to me. I'm like, you're welcome. And so we keep going, and then there's another uh, group of two guys coming out. And so I asked him to survey. The first person is like, oh, yeah, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy to be back. You know, I love being back on campus. And the other person is like, I'm really struggling. Like, I, I have really serious depression, depressing thoughts. And they're friends. And so when that person shared that, it's almost like the, sec the first guy looked at him and was like, oh, I didn't even know that about you. And so we pray for him. And it, it was awesome. Like, I prayed for him, and I turned around, and I can't find Andrew anymore. And I'm like, where is this guy? I thought we were doing this as a team. And he's, like, across the street praying for someone else. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then, like, we keep doing this. And 10 minutes later, like, I have to literally every time, he's, like, further away from me. And he is, like, killing it on campus. He is, like, praying for everyone left and right. Like, I see him, you know, being responsible, socially distanced, praying for them and talking to them. Uh, he is an SSM, okay? I coined this term. I actually heard it from someone else. But SSM stands for a seed sowing machine. That's who Andrew is. He was really going for it. Um, and I'll be honest, a lot of you guys know that one of the things that I, it, like, really burdens my heart is to see more churches being planted, like to seeing churches being planted where people have never been to church. That's one of the things that really burdens me. And so we were talking about this in the car ride home, and Andrew brought up an important point. He was like, you know, like, this felt like a little weird, like we're just praying for them, but we're not inviting them back to our church. Like, 
you know, what's the balance between that? Like, you know, shouldn't we give them contact information? And I, I really thought about it. And as a pastor, if I don't invite people to my church, <laughs> especially when uh, there's a part of me that wants to plant my own church and I'm praying for people and they never show up, like, isn't my church going to fail, like, in worldly terms? And I, I really think about that sometimes. Like, am I doing a disservice to myself if I pray for people with no strings attached? Right? Like, shouldn't I at least give them my contact information, give them a business card, or, like, you know, give them, like, a gospel track, or say, hey, come to my church. And uh, I, I wrestled with this a lot in the past. But I've come to the point where I am of the belief that it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter if I pray for them once and they forget all about me. And if they never come to my church, if they never trust my leadership, if they never see me again, if I plant a seed in their heart and in the middle of the night, they're lying down in bed, like, reflecting on what happened during the day, and they think about that weird Asian guy that showed up on campus and asked to pray for him, and he just starts thinking about that a little more, and that seed starts to grow even a little bit where they can encounter God, that's more than enough for me. And so I've resolved in my heart, they don't have to come to my church. Okay? Um, and so that's actually part of what I wanted to share with you guys, Mark 5. I apologize, the text is really small. I thought I made it bigger, um, but bigger to me is not as big as I think it is, so I'll, I'll have to make it like really, really big next time. But this is Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read from uh, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen some of those like Instagram or Facebook posts where there's like a really strong guy that breaks like bricks and like ice cubes and stuff like that. Like imagine that, like magnify that several times more. Like there's a guy where chains and different things just won't bind the guy. Like he is crazy. Like he can break through anything. This is how like supernatural this moment was. Okay. Verse five, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Waiting a little, okay. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he, Jesus, gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see, see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. 
And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Let's keep going. Stay with me a little bit. I'm sorry, this is a long text. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged that he might be with him. So he, he's set free, and he's telling Jesus, like, I want to go with you. Uh, wherever you're going, I want to go with you. And for us, I think, uh, often that's not a wrong reply, right? Like, following Jesus is a part of discipleship, right? But this is what Jesus says. He did not permit him and said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in, the, in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for them. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. Okay. So when I think about even outreach for me and sharing the gospel, it's really about sharing, but it doesn't have to always look like following me back, right? Like follow me to my church or come to my church. It really is about you've met Jesus. Now go share and tell what all these people have or what God has done for you. And that word share or to tell is really uh, this Greek word. Can't find that Greek word, but it's in here somewhere. But it's a Greek word that means to announce and declare heavenly news. So that's the word tell. Go home and tell them. Tell your family and friends. Announce the heavenly news of what God has done for you. But here's the catch 22. You cannot share a heavenly message or a heavenly report if you haven't had a heavenly encounter. You can't share a heavenly report and a heavenly testimony if you yourself have not had a heavenly encounter. More on that later. Um, we live in a digital age. Okay? Uh, I don't know about you, but I often find my Self, like I talk about it all the time, like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are on that thing a lot. What I noticed much more recently is this phrase that I actually really like because I feel like it kind of uh, portrays what people are after. Like the YouTube vloggers, right? They always start the video and end the video with a phrase that sounds a little bit like this, like smash that like button. You guys know what I'm talking about? Don't forget to like and subscribe. Don't forget to share with others, right? Uh, and so the reason for this is, of course, that an increase in followers is an increase of popularity, and an increase of popularity means that you also get royalties from that, okay? So this is how it works for a YouTuber to actually make a living. You can make, and this is according to Forbes and people who do taxes for YouTubers, you can make anywhere from one cent to three cents per view. Not too much, right? But that translates to three to five dollars for a thousand views. Still not that much, right? Okay. Um, up to five thousand dollars for a million views. So that's actually the cap, which was surprising to me. Most of the income is generated by advertisements. I don't think that's a surprise there. Uh, there's a, a tool called AdSense, which sponsors with different marketing companies and different product companies, and that's how most of them make the money. You only get paid after you break that $100 threshold. So if you get to like 99.99, you actually don't get paid. Okay. 
And in 2018, this is a stat that really boggled my mind. A seven-year-old boy named Ryan in 2018, in one year, guess how much he made? $22 million for toy reviews in 2018. And so I decided to look it up a little bit. Like, he literally just unboxes the toys. They're making some more educational videos out now. But this seven-year-old boy made $22 million in one year. So for those of you guys live streaming at home, go ahead and smash that like button. Okay, we're, we're a house of prayer, but uh, any contribution helps. I'm kidding. Um, but when I think about even liking and subscribing and sharing with all of your friends on YouTube, there really is a dichotomy in the ways that we share today, right? There are two levels of sharing. The first level of sharing is much like Ryan's world and in YouTube, right, where you ask people to share because it benefits me, right? Uh, if you share with others, that benefits me. If my content is good, it might bless you and might get to your friends, but the primary motive for that sharing is to benefit me. And the other form of sharing has nothing to do with me. I share because I already am benefited, right? So the two different kinds of sharing is you share because you want something or you get something. The other form of sharing is you share because you have something, right? Um, the first form of sharing where we share to get something is not the gospel. We share the gospel, we share, we pray for people, we love people, we extend our kindness to people because we are recipients first and foremost of God's love. We don't share to experience more of God's love, even though it is fun, right? Oftentimes when I'm like, oh, I just really want to see God move and I'm like feeling a little dry, I always know that doing outreach, I'll find God somewhere in the mix because he's always looking after that one, right? So if I can find him looking for that one, I can find him there. But the primary motive for outreach and sharing the gospel is because we are recipients of grace, not to receive grace. And what is a sermon uh, with me if I don't talk about Angela, Jeremy, and sneakers? So uh, here's another reference to this. Uh, we were hanging out with them again, and... Um, I just, this sneaker game is so interesting to me because I, I don't understand the phenomenon, but these shoes get so expensive. I, I like white shoes and white shoes only. Hannah has to often buy me nicer shoes because I don't really care about them and they get really, really dirty. Um, but can we show that picture up one more time? A lot of you guys who follow sports or basketball in this area know who that is. That's Russell Westbrook. He's one of the big names in basketball. And the NBA players do this thing. Like, if you are a superstar in sports, after a game, they take off their shoes, and they hand it to a lucky fan, right? And I think if you had no idea who these people are and what, what kind of value they have, like, this is probably all you're thinking of. These people have played for over an hour in these shoes, and they've sweat in them. And they give it to a quote-unquote lucky fan, right? And we live in this culture where we share things that are valuable to us. Like, um, look at this lucky fan. Like, there's the pure joy in their face. Like, I get a stinky pair of shoes from somebody else who's just played in them. But unless you understand the sneaker culture, like, that is 
a precious moment, right? Maybe not for me, but for my brother, that would be a precious moment. And when I, I want to go down this analogy a little bit more. Um, sharing for me personally is hard, and Hannah will be the first one to tell you. The hardest thing for me to share is food. Um, and I'll just stop the list there. Like that, that is really hard for me. Uh, I will tell you guys this one time, I think I was like 21 or 22. I'm a college student, okay? Or just out of college. So, you know, I don't necessarily have a lot of money. And so I remember after a church function, we went out to eat at Fuddruckers uh, in Rockville Pike. Rest in peace, they're no longer there, I think. Um, but we went there to fellowship, and I remember eating a burger, delicious, but I also specifically ordered a side of rings, an onion rings plate. And so we're sitting there, and there's this guy from church. He comes to sit next to me. Um, we aren't really that close. Like, you know, we know of each other. You guys know, like, that kind of relationship at church, right? Like, you guys know each other. There's no, like, hard feelings. It's just we don't know each other too well. Um, and we're sitting there, and I'm eating, and he keeps staring at my onion rings. Um, and after like 15 minutes where his eyes are like constantly like looking down, I'm like, dude, my, <laughs> my face is up here, dude. But um, I just, I, I cave in. I'm like, man, I feel bad for this guy. I'm like, hey, like, you know, do you want some onion rings? He goes, sure. <laughs> and then he just starts picking onion rings off my plate. There's a part of me inside where I'm like hurting. I'm like, you can have like a few, but I said that like out of kindness, like don't eat the whole thing. And he ended up eating like 75% of it. I was really, really upset, okay? I'm really bad at sharing food. And so I was reflecting on it, like, why do I have a hard time sharing things in my life? Like, it's not just food. I, I often don't share as much as I think I should, right? And the first reason why I don't share is because it's too precious and too valuable to me, right? Maybe not shoes. This is a just an analogy that I'm going off of, but like guitars and things like that. Like, it's so precious to me. It's really hard for me to trust people with it. Like, to let them play it every now and then. Like, have fun. Like, go crazy with it. Like, I get a little bit uneasy about it. It's hard for me to share. Right? And the reason why it's hard for me to share is because I worked really hard to get it. Right? I invested a lot of time and energy, and I saved up a lot of money to get it for myself. So sharing that resource, oh, that's really hard for me, okay? Another reason why we don't share is because nobody wants it. Nobody wants the thing that you're sharing. Um, often, I think of basketball shoes that somebody else has worn like this. Like, I don't really want to wear somebody else's shoes. Uh, I don't want to wear somebody else's socks. I know there are people who don't mind I am not one of those guys, but sharing what nobody wants is hard because nobody wants it, right? It's not really worth sharing. And here's another one, it's a little comical. Another reason why we won't share is because it's not even real. That is a fake Jordan shoe. If any of you guys know what Jordan shoes are supposed to look like, it is not that. <laughs> that logo is a person running, not even holding a basketball. So in summary, reasons why I don't share, it's too precious for me to give away. I worked too hard for it. It's too used and dirty to give away. 
Nobody wants it. I'll get rejected. Or it's too worthless. It's fake. You guys get where I'm getting at a little bit? We are called to share the gospel. But I believe, even in my own life, sharing has been difficult if I feel entitled to the gospel sometimes. Like, I worked really hard to spend time with God, or I worked really hard to understand God and understand the grace of God. I just can't give it out for free. Like, I can't just expect everyone else to have an encounter with God when I was the one that worked for it so long. Like, I did, like, 15-hour fasts, or I did Bible studies for, like, weeks and weeks and weeks. I've been uh, discipleship class. I've been baptized. I've gone through all of these things, and, and I just have to give it all away. Like, there, there's a part of me when I feel like I've earned it or I've put my work, sweat, and tears into it that it shouldn't be given out for free. Another reason why we don't share is because we don't share what we do not know. We do not share who we do not know. Uh, the analogy with like the dirty sneakers, I think a lot of times when we've gone through church for several years, we kind of feel like sharing the gospel is like giving an old, worn-down pair of shoes sometimes. Like nobody wants it because there's so many miles on it. There's so much dirt on Christianity. There's so much like things that people have said about Christianity. People don't really want Christianity, so I don't really want to share it but we can because it is someone we know. It's not something that we have, right? The last thing is this. We cannot share what is old and stale to us. We cannot share something that is old and stale and something that isn't genuine in our own lives. It's hard for us to share something that we're faking. I'm sorry, that's a little bit a sting, but it's true. We, we can't share something that we're faking all the time. And so, uh, why do I say all of this? Waiting for the next slide. There we go. Isaiah 6. I, for outreach and sharing for me in particular, it always goes back to this. Uh, this is a text from Isaiah 6, where the angels are surrounding the throne of God, and um, Isaiah has an encounter, and he sees the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, full of his glory. The word glory meaning like the actual term is like the kabod, the the inmost being of God. I saw a recent experiment where men and women have different centers of gravity, right? But that center of gravity is what keeps us rooted. It is like the most important part of our equilibrium. That is like the kabod. The inmost part of God, his heart, everything that is important to God is all over the world. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And yet right after that, God tells Isaiah after responding to the commission to go and tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but but never perceiving. Like I don't know if you guys catch that. Like, they're right next to each other. The first thing is that in order for Isaiah to go and be commissioned, he has to have an encounter with God. But the other thing is that the commission itself is to talk about the glory of God that's already here. God is already here. He's already in our midst. He's already at the University of Maryland. And our commission and call is not to say, like, oh, 
Jesus is coming because I'm here. No, Jesus is already there looking for the people. We just have to allow them to see it. He's all around us. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We are commissioned and called to allow them to see it, to see what's been before their eyes for so long. And I always go back to this story because it resonates so true. I remember one of my um, old members from church, like when she first heard the voice of God, she started crying and she was like, this is the same voice I've been hearing all my life. I just didn't know it was God. Right? He is everywhere. He's already pursuing us. He's pursuing the people at your work. He's pursuing people on your campus and your family. Our job in sharing is to awaken them to see that God is already pursuing them. I have a couple more slides, but um, I'm going to keep going. I want to go to this meme real quick. For those of you guys who grew up in the D.C. area, you guys know what this meme is. Judging by the lack of laughing, I guess people have not. Um, but there's a place when you drive up 95 South, and like the whole time is telling you you're driving to Washington, D.C., right? So you're like, oh, yeah, casually driving to Washington, D.C., 95 North. Actually, everyone who's gone to Grace Retreat should know this sign, <laughs> right? You're driving up, and all of the signs say, we're going to Washington, D.C., and at the split second, these three signs come up at the same time, and you have like 30 seconds to choose. Which one do you go to? Tyson's Corner, which is north, Washington, which is also north, and Baltimore, which is also north. Which north do you choose? The first time I was in a car with someone who saw that sign, we ended up at the Pentagon. Like, not even, like, the parking lots. Like, we were like, where are we? Like, we see armed militant vehicles everywhere. <laughs> where do we go? And I remember, like, we, like, reversed a little bit. We were like, I don't know where we're going. But that sign trips me out. One time I was driving on 270, and this is where I'm getting with this. I was driving on 270. Um, I was driving on 495, getting onto 270. And just as I'm about to go on, like, this was pre-COVID, so there are a lot of cars there. Like, right before my eyes, I didn't know how this happened, because the car looked fine. At the split second, it went a little right, and then it spun half a turn, and I was like, in my mind, it felt like an eternity. I was like, there are cars everywhere. Like, what is about to happen? Like, I'm like right behind this car, and at the last second, it just slams against the side, and the car is facing this way. Luckily, no other cars were involved in the accident, but because I was right behind the car, like, I saw the driver, and her eyes were open, and her jaw dropped, like, and I'm driving down this road, and I'm like, holy moly, like I dodged a bullet, like what the heck happened? So do you know what the first thing I did was? I called my friend and I was like, hey, you're never going to believe what, just, what I just saw. This is crazy. And I explained the whole thing, right? Another time I was driving to church and I saw another car like spin out of control, hit the side, and then it caused like a three or four car pileup. The first thing I did was call the people at my church and say, I, I just witnessed a car crash, like, it was insane. I'm going to be a little bit late to church, but let me describe to you what just happened. And they're like, 
oh my goodness, are people safe? Like, are you hurt? Like, what really happened? And I'm like describing the whole thing and the police come up to me and they're like, sir, can you write uh, what you saw on a piece of paper? And I write on the back of the clipboard and so they, it's not really legible and they're like, it's fine, like I know you're a little bit shaken. But the point is this, when we see something supernatural and extraordinary, our natural response is to share what we just saw. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people talk about I, I just tasted this brand new ubi mochi thing from Trader Joe's. It's pretty good, by the way. If you guys haven't had it, like, I recommend it highly. But so many people will tell you and share with you, look at this brand new thing from Trader Joe's. Sharing the gospel is not like hitting a like button and sharing it and asking people to share it with other people. And often that style, uh, I, I'm going to be a little bit maybe too precise here, but I do see that at church a little bit, where our, our intent in sharing is to like and share, just watch me do Christianity, just watch me talk about Jesus, watch me do Bible study, watch me do worship. But the sharing that we are called to do is to first and foremost have an encounter with God and bring that encounter to someone else. Let me repeat that a little bit. Uh, I've seen, and even in my own heart, in my own life, like when I'm trying to figure out what it means to share the gospel, it is like a like and subscribe. If you like it, you subscribe it, keep following me. Keep watching me live for Jesus. Just keep watching me preach. Keep watching me lead prayer meetings. And then eventually you might do it too. But the kind of sharing that I want, uh, I am challenged myself to step into, and I believe that many of us are being challenged to step into, is not about liking and sharing and subscribing. Where you don't invite someone to watch you do Christianity. It's about you sharing an encounter with Jesus. And as a result, they follow Jesus. I think about this every now and then. Um, I wonder when we get to heaven. I think about this a lot. Like, what, what's the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven? But all of those people that I've like had like random one-off encounters with, I wonder if they'll be in heaven, right? Like I, I don't know anything about their lives. They don't know anything about me. Like we've met and maybe talked and prayed for maybe 15, 20 minutes on average. And I wonder if I'm going to see them at, at, in heaven. And if I do, like I have all these questions for them, like, what happened? Like, when I prayed for you or when I met you then, like, we were talking about this. Like, did that even mean anything to you? Right? Like, I have all of these questions that I want to ask. But one of the things that I really want to ask is, how did you meet Jesus after that? Like, when did you meet Jesus? And the reason for me, and I'm going to invite the worship team up, the reason for me why... I'm not as interested in them following me and watching me do church or watching me do this as a pastor. The reason why is because I didn't, I, I met Jesus in church, but when my life was flipped upside down by the love of God, like in a ridiculous, like I was going one way and I met Jesus and my life went the opposite direction and I've never been the same. It was not in church. It was at my friend's birthday party where I'm just sitting in a room against the wall thinking about, man, my life is really empty and it's a mess. And Pastor Q shares this. 
He met Jesus in a pizza shop. The encounter with Jesus happens anywhere. No one is safe. You can run and you can hide, but you're not safe. God's coming for you. I just want to be a part of letting you know that. Like, hey, just in case you didn't know, someone's watching you. And he loves you and he's crazy about you. Just to wrap everything up, on the way home uh, from outreach, I was sharing a lot of these things with Andrew. Like, the thing that like, really stuck with me when I wasn't walking with God was this Korean ajuma. I haven't seen her in over 15 years, but this Korean ajuma told me, God loves you so much. And I was like, what do you mean? And it's because I tutored her children. And I remember showing up to their house one morning, and I was so tired, and I wasn't even feeling well. And, you know, the night before, I was hanging out late with my friends, and so I was just being irresponsible. And I remember showing up to this house, like, a mess and feeling guilty. So I, I ring the doorbell. She's like, oh, you didn't get the memo? Our kids aren't here today. I was like, no one told me. I just drove, like, 20 minutes from <laughs> to get to your house. Like, it's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. I could be sleeping. And she was like, oh, come in. I was like, why? <laughs> like, I want to go home. And so she sits me down, and she goes, God loves you so much. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and she was like, you know, God probably canceled this for you. I was like, well, actually, you know, I haven't been feeling too well. You know, like, I'm really tired. And she was like, that's how much God loves you. You didn't even know. Somewhere along the line, someone drops the memo. This is how much God loves you. And I remember driving away, like after 30 minutes of her telling me how much God loves me, I drove home and I kept thinking to myself, like, what? Like, God loves me? Why does God love me? Like, and of all the moments to hear that God loves me, why this Saturday morning? Why would that be the time for someone to tell me God loves me? And I'm sharing this with Andrew on the ride home. And Andrew says, you know, I think I need to share how much God loves them more when we do outreach. And I didn't say this to Andrew because I was like digesting it at the time. And I was like, no, you're right. Like, I need to share how much God loves people. And if by chance they meet God in that moment, praise God, or if they go home and they're reflecting on the day about this crazy Asian person, and that's where they encounter God, or maybe it's like a week later, so be it. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, actually, let's stand and then I'll pray for us and then we'll do a worship song. But there, there are so many things we can do in church. There are so many things we can prepare for in life. Um, there are so many things that we are called to do. But let's not forget, let's remember that it's about his love. It's about his love for us. And we just share out of the overflow of his love. Just like the Israelites, where God said, store enough manna for me today and trust me for tomorrow. An encounter with the love of God is available for us every day. We cannot live off of last year's encounter with God. We cannot live off of a love of God experience we had several years ago at Grace Retreat. Even last week, even yesterday, we cannot live off of the love of God from yesterday. We need fresh manna for us today. 
So, Father, we come to you today and we, God, I, I feel like I'm a mess. And I feel like when life goes on, we just, we get ping-ponged back and forth between all these things we are responsible for and the things that we need to do. But God, today, just love on us, God. Even in this very moment, would you love on us? We give you permission into our hearts to rock our worlds, love us, open up our hearts to know you, to encounter you today. So today, God, we're asking for the fresh manna that you have for us. We trust you, God, and we ask that you would, yeah, just minister to our hearts right now, God. We need you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. needed to catch my breath a little bit. I, I didn't realize how much, how excited I was getting, but um, yeah, let's, let's pray. God, I pray that you would make us seed sowing machines. God, that we would be people who sow the love of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ into people's hearts. I pray that you would do it in us and do it through us this week even. Wherever we go, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing in our midst. We pray that you would be honored and glorified through it all, Lord. We ask that you would meet with us this week, so may the face of God shine upon us and be with us. We love you, Lord, and we honor you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.